the UN left, every one of them were put to death. It was the most hostile country in the world uh, at that particular point in time towards Christianity. And God has put us together on a unique mission in life. We were children's pastors at Christian Celebration Center, and God said, let go of what's in your hands, and I'll fill it. Now, how's that for a good one? He didn't tell us what to do. He just said, uh, let go. And that's difficult to tell people because you love the people that you work with, and, and you say, well, God's calling us to something else. Where are you going? Nowhere. What are you doing? We don't know. That's difficult. But we heard God's voice, and God has, has just kind of engrafted us into some projects and things that are just very, very unique and very strange. What we did do is ask God for 50 million souls. We said, God, we want to reach kids. We, we, we do that. We know that the most easily reached people on this planet are kids. And that's why I'm going to encourage you to, to think lower. Aim lower. Think smaller. Give up and go have a cup of coffee. And uh, Greg, you can go ahead. We've got, got just a little video that we prepared for you, and that'll help explain what I just said. There is a solution for reaching the vast, unreached places of the earth. There is a remedy that will completely turn the world upside down and revolutionize the entire workings of the church. It is Aim Lower. Think smaller, give up, and go have a cup of coffee. I know you're thinking, amazing, why didn't I think of that? The entire message of the Bible, Jesus, salvation, and everything else that we call the gospel was written for you and for every other human being. The only problem is that not every human has had a chance to hear it yet. Six billion humans currently inhabit the planet and live there for a worldwide average of 67 years each. Of the entire population of Earth, about one-third have ready access to the gospel because of where they live. At the same time, a further third have never even heard the name of Jesus in any way that they could respond to. That gives us an average of 67 years to get to every single one of them. Which would be easy if they all lived in your street, spoke your language and went to the same baseball matches. To make matters more difficult, we actually have considerably less than 67 years to reach people. An extraordinary fact about humans is that the older they get, the more set in their ways they become. This means that if one believes and follows Jesus as a young human, they will likely do so until they die, and of course, afterwards as well. On the other hand, if a human does not hear about Jesus as a child, they will most likely never follow him. Right now, only 15% of global mission giving goes towards children, even though 60 to 80% of all responses to the gospel are made by children. If you formed every person on the earth into a very, very long line, one in every three would be a child under the age of 15. We will be more effective as we explore why Jesus said, the kingdom belongs to such as these. Our first challenge in the Great Commission is to aim at a lower age. We must aim lower. It is said in the Gospels, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Already across the world, many are seeing that there is a role that children and young people play as workers in the harvest. Leadership does not start at 30 years of age. It starts as a child and a teenager. Children may not know everything as an adult does, but by using their knowledge of the gospel and the enthusiasm of youth, they are able to pray, to share, and to serve in their way. 
As the human population rapidly grows worldwide, there is an increasing number of children and a decreasing proportion of adults. The only way to keep up with the worldwide boom of children is to equip other children to reach them. It is said, you have hidden these things from the wise and learned and revealed them to little children. Think smaller. When you look at the church throughout the whole world, you'll see some parts that are well-equipped, well-resourced and relatively wealthy, and yet have little or no growth. Conversely, you'll see other parts that are growing quickly with great energy but have few means and no wealth. Together, as we seek to effectively evangelize, nurture and equip children, we need to be willing to share resources more freely and give up the pride of building empires and organizations and to put kingdom building at the forefront. Whatever it is that we need to give up for the sake of the kingdom, let's give up. It is said that the body is a unit, though it is made up of many parts, and that Christ is the head. No one part can do the job alone. No one part has all the answers, the resources, the creativity, or the mandate to do it all. We are a body. When one part suffers, we all suffer. To accomplish the Great Commission means having a cup of coffee with someone from the church down the road. Talk to them. Partner with them. Become prayer partners with a struggling church across the globe. We are part of the same body. We are on the same team. Go, have a cup of coffee. A large part of the Great Commission will be accomplished when we aim lower, think smaller, give up, and go have a cup of coffee. Well, there you have it. Aim lower, or aim, aim lower, think smaller, give up and go have a cup of coffee. And really kind of that's what we're all about. We're missionaries to the largest unreached people group in the world, and that's the 4 to 14 window. That's kids ages 4 to 14. They're the most responsive to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we'll do just about anything to reach them. Uh, I've done... Uh, School assemblies in the public schools, we go out and do those. I do illusions. I guess we'll do just about anything we can to communicate with kids, ventriloquism. I mean, we'll stand on our head and gargle peanut butter if we think it'll help. Because what we really want to do is be able to reach kids. Because this is a life-saving message of Jesus Christ, and many have never, ever heard of that message. You know, there was a man who... Um, he entered a sweepstakes. He was reading the, the back of his Wheaties box one day, and he entered a sweepstakes on the back of that to win a Cadillac. Now, they're not doing that anymore. Uh, that, that, whole, that whole thing's kind of gone by the wayside. But he won. He won a Cadillac, Cadillac off of the back of a Wheaties box. And uh, he was so excited about that, he went to pick that thing up, and you know what? It was a convertible. And he was excited about this thing. I mean, he had never owned a car like this in his life, and he picked it up at the lot from the dealer it was supposed to be at. He picked it up and started to drive it down the street. It was a beautiful day. He, he brought down the back of this thing, and he was cruising along. He pulled up to a stop sign, and there next to him was a man on a Harley, and he looked like a Harley rider. He didn't look like he was a leisure Harley rider. He looked like a... A full-scale Harley rider. He said, hey, how's it going? 
See, you're not going to believe this. I, I just won this car off a of Wheaties box. The guy just looked at him, the light turned green, and they went up to the next light. Can you believe it? I, I won this car. Man, is this cool or what? The guy just gives him a look, and then he says, hey, follow me. And the guy led the way on the Harley, and, and he followed him to the outskirts of town, back, back where there was a, like a gravel pit. And uh, he follows him, and the guy stops his Harley and walks back to him. He says, hey, you'll need to step out of the car. Okay. And with his big boot, he draws a circle. He said, I want you to stand in that circle. You step out of that circle, and I'll kill you. He walks over to that car, and with his big boots, he proceeds to kick all kinds of dents in it. Kicks out the headlights. He looks back at the guy, and the guy's going, You think that's funny? You think that's funny? I'll show you funny. He goes back, and he has these saddlebags, and he pulls out of the saddlebags some chains, and he proceeds to just reef on this brand-new car with his chains. Then he takes his knife out, and begins to slit the seats up. Punctures the tires. He looks back, and the guy's going, <laughs> huh, you think that's funny? I'll show you funny. He starts the car up. He puts it in drive and gets out, and that car goes over a precipice and lands several hundred feet below, bursting into flames. He looks back at the guy, and the guy's going, <laughs> what's so funny? I demand to know what's so funny. He said, I stepped out of the circle three times. He never caught me. You know, I, we kind of feel like that. I feel like that. Because you know what? When you're doing God's things in God's way, you can do all kinds of things and things that would rattle people and, and shake people and cause them consternation. You know what? You laugh at them. And I found some things that you find so dear and so precious aren't really that precious after all. And you know what? When you do God's work and the devil says, you can't do that, watch me. And you can just laugh. It's really kind of, a, well, I'm going to make it rougher for you. I know. And we've seen God do some incredible funny stuff. Is it okay if I just skip a stone across some of the things that we do? When we left as, as missionaries, evangelists to children, we weren't 100% sure, and God began to put puzzle pieces into place for our lives because we asked him for 50 million children. Would that be okay if I did that? And I'm going to ask, Greg, if you could put up a, a little PowerPoint for us. What are, what are these things? Huh? Oh, oh, well, man, I thought they were like salt shakers or... Yeah, they're little people. My son would call them army men. Everything's army men with a kid. We have a seven-and-a-half-year-old. So if I just shake the army man, okay, you'll know it's time to, to change. 
Kim and I this last Thursday were invited to meet the new ambassador from Israel to the United States. Uh, several leaders from around the United States were asked to meet with him, and so we went this Thursday and met with him, Dr. Oren. He thanked the Christian leaders that were there for their solidarity with Israel. You understand, Israel is not supposed to exist. According to everything that is out there, Israel is not to exist. It is one of the greatest displays of God's glory, and it will be the greatest display of God's power on this planet. It will be. Because every nation will see that throughout history, God has kept His covenant with His people even when they strayed away. And you know what God says? He says He will bless whoever blesses Israel. You say, well, they're kind of ignorant right now. They're kind of obstinate. I know. But if you bless who God blesses, God will bless you. So any ministry that partners itself with Israel and the peace of Israel, not necessarily on every decision that they make, but they bless Israel. God said, bless them. And, and Kim and I just said, well, we just feel like God would have us. What does that have to do with children? Well, we don't know yet. But we went there, and when we heard him tell the story, you see, he's the greatest historian on the Six-Day War that took place. An absolute miracle, if you've never heard about that. It's miraculous. And he parlayed the story of Harry Truman, who went against Congress, who went against Senate, who went against everyone in the United States, signed a bill and said, we are going to help establish Israel as a country. They say when they got that bill from him and they collected it from him, he had tears in his eyes because God visited him. Uh, a few months ago, we were asked to go by David Boyd from BGMC, Boys and Girls Missionary Crusade. We were asked to go and teach. One of the things that we find is so incredible is to be able to teach people to work in children's ministries. We not, just, we not only teach, but we do. We do children's crusades. We speak at camps. We still keep current with what we do with kids. Like I said, we'll do just about anything to be able to communicate with kids and communicate the gospel with kids. And so we've learned a myriad of different things to be able to do that and to be able to train others to do that. We did that in Sri Lanka where they heard the first children's ministry conference ever in the Assemblies of God. There were people who traveled to this conference in Inver India, Bangalore, India, five days on a train just to get there so they could learn how to effectively communicate to kids within their culture. Um, our good friend Joey Ellis, his wife Carla is on one of those ends, um, and maybe you, you've heard of him, uh, is what? Oh, he's been here. There you have it. He's been here, but actually he's going to be moving up north. So we went up north with him to Jaipur where there are millions, maybe 2% who've ever heard the name of Jesus Christ. Who've ever heard the gospel. They've maybe heard the name Jesus Christ. But the new mission field that they have, and God began to lay that on our hearts, hearts because we had been to Calcutta years earlier and helped out ministries there, and also done teacher training there. That's one of the things that God's helped us to intersect with, is training those who work with kids. My name, Lon. 
That's my name. That's the greeting I used for the sex tourists who came to Bangkok, Thailand. I was 14 years old when I was a prostitute. My mother forced me into it to raise money for the family. And with every trick, more of my soul left. Where girls in America were watching Reese Witherspoon and Hugh Jackman. I was doing unsaid things with filthy, dirty men who reeked of smoke and alcohol. Triple X things that stole a part of my soul every time. I wished life was different for me. I can't wash it away. It seems to permeate every pore of my body. This is the story of so many girls in Thailand. You see, 62% of the men getting off of planes in Bangkok, Thailand, are there for sex tourism. But that only accounts for 6% of the prostitution that takes place in Thailand. 92% of the men in Thailand have a prostitute. It's the second largest industry in that country. If you took it out and were to eradicate it, the country's economy would fall apart. Talk about enslavement. You meet these little girls and they're just beautiful. It brings a whole new meaning to life when a little girl of eight years old comes up to you and says, would you like to play? And she holds up a condom. Many parents sell their children into prostitution. One mother who sold her young daughter for $20 said, do you have any regrets? She said, yeah. I wish I could have sold her for more. What's it like? What would it be like to be able to live free of that? See, these little girls have no choice. What we did is we partnered with a friend of mine named Daryl Birch. Daryl at the time was the international president of International Network of Children's Ministries who has uh, probably about 70,000 children's pastors in its network from across the United States and even overseas. Daryl set out to rescue some of these girls out of these prostitution houses. The two guys who trained him how to do that are now dead. Daryl talked to a person from the UN and said, the UN person said to him, I don't, I've never talked to a person who's rescued and lived. What we set out to do through the Children's Heritage Foundation is to find best practice organizations in Thailand, not invent something ourselves, but find those that are doing a good job and come alongside of them and support them. We hope to do that through a Hollywood fundraiser. We've got a website called rescuethailand.org. Rescuethailand.org. And you'll see on that website all the footage that it was, is, is on there. It's about uh, probably about a three-minute clip there. And we're really kind of working that into something through Hollywood where we can do a documentary. Now, many documentaries have been done, but Thailand is the apex of sex trafficking worldwide. It really is. 
They've just become a little bit better. The American Justice Mission was there, but they pulled out because there's other countries that are easier to infiltrate and to affect. Uh, Thailand, the crooks have gotten smarter, and the mob has gotten smarter, and the mob is tied in with the police. So what we want to do is to be able to provide not only an education, but also a freedom from these girls at risk. These are three of the girls that we were able to save. Beautiful little girls. Two of those girls, their father tried to burn them. He thought they were monkeys. They get high on drugs and they eat monkeys there. And so two of these little, sweet little girls. Who would burn them? Who would do that? I'm telling you, it's an evil world out there. We have about seven or eight kids and we don't have time for all the pictures that we actually support over there. The girl, Sarah, who helps us with that. Um, she's a cross between Mother Teresa and Harriet Tubman. Okay? God leads her. She's anointed by the Holy Spirit. In fact, there's a lot of missionaries in Chiang Mai, China, where she lives, that go to all parts of the world and use Chiang Mai, number one, because it's a wonderful climate. It's absolutely beautiful, and it's fairly cheap to live. It's a good place to base out of. But most of the missionaries that we talked to, when asked, who do you see God working through? They said, Sarah. Sarah wished that she could quit her job and come to the United States so she could raise money and fight for some of these kids. She'll see kids on a motorcycle. God will tell her, go get them. Go rescue them. We do that. While we were there, we rescued a Shan girl from actually from Myanmar, Burma. They were squatters. Her mother died of AIDS. Her aunt had AIDS and had the open sores, was given two weeks to live. Ten-year-old girl taking care of an AIDS patient, trying to cook, trying to survive, no money. We were able to rescue her and put her in a home. She's doing very well today, hearing about Jesus Christ, learning English so that she doesn't have to depend on that system and slide back into a life of prostitution. Like I said, that's just one thing. And we continue to build that up and buttress that. Two years ago, um, I hosted a friend from China. Um, and that's why we're not taping this, are we? We are. Okay, don't get the tape. We'll cut it. Um, this is actually here. This is Mao Tung's grandson. Mao Zedong was considered the most brutal man in the world, killing up to 50 million to 60 million people. That makes Hitler look like a puppy dog. His grandson, Mr. Kong, had never been to the United States. And my friend Shimon and I, uh, and Shimon is on the end here, uh, standing next to him is Deanna Go from Focus on the Family, China. And I called Deanna and said, how, how would you like to meet Mao's grandson? It took her two days to call me back. But you see, her uncle was beat to death on the street of China because someone said he spit on a picture of Mao. Mao's grandson, Mr. Kong, is also the 72nd descendant of Confucius which makes him one of the rarest people in the world 
to have those kinds of ancestry where ancestry is really, really huge in the world. He asked us if we'd help him with several things. Number one, philanthropy. Number two, 10,000 rural poor hospitals because he had a heart for the poor. We invited him to come to the National Prayer Breakfast in Washington, D.C. Again, it was the first time anyone from Mao's family had ever been out of China. We brought him there. One of the patriarchs of that breakfast in which world leaders are invited from all over. They're invited in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth to pray in the name of Jesus. He said, what are you doing here? I mean, I studied you. You're, you're an atheist. I mean, I, you know, you, you suppose where people come from. And he said, well, well how, how'd you get here? And he said, I don't know. It must have been God. Later on in close quarters with probably about 12 people in the room, he said, we need more of Jesus in China. This man oversees 400 million youth in China. He's the social engineer of the think tank that says, what should this next generation of China look like? He's the one who gave me this coat as a gift for helping him in the United States. We gave him a book of hope. That's another organization that we work with. We put together focus groups for Book of Hope because we want to help them reach every child on the planet with the good news of Jesus Christ. He said, oh, thank you. Thanks so much. He said, I've read the Bible. I have several versions. I said, well, you know, you're ahead of most Christians in America. We are currently helping him with several projects. One of those projects is, is he's involved in media. You realize that media in China controls everything. This last prayer breakfast, he was not able to make it because he was going to meet with the new leader, new leaders of China. Uh, Hu Jintao and Wen Jiabo will be stepping down. They'll have a big celebration in October, uh, September, end of September. And the new leaders will be taking place. And what he's done is he, they want him to come in as a leader, but he's positioned himself as an advocate for children in this next generation. What would it be like if you could influence the media of China? 1.6 billion. Christian friend of mine, and I won't name him because this really can't, um, th this is something that only the Chinese government knows that Hollywood cannot know because it's, it's a connection with several Christian people involved in Hollywood to influence this whole next generation of China. It's called CCTV is the number one station. It's, it's everything flows through that. We're looking at CCTV, too. Number one, better production quality. They'll have a, a beachfront in Hollywood. We have several of the top producers in Hollywood that are part of this project. It, it, you won't hear about it for a year. And the new technology, which broadcasts television over your cell phone. 
So you not only have a higher quality, you've got a new generation that you can reach. They want to do a documentary on Christians. They want to espouse Christian values through that. I have on my computer a commitment by the Chinese Media Bank for $300 million a project. God's moving. God is moving. The same God who says, I laugh when nations are dust on the scale. Isaiah 43. Who can put themselves up against God? God has the ability to move leaders. God has the ability to move nations. That's why God says, ask of me and I will give you nations. Well, we just kind of go, oh, okay, well, you know, pray for whatever. We don't actually believe that God can actually move on behalf. But God limits Himself to the prayers of His people. Uh, we went on a special tour. We were asked to work with the largest foundation in China, China Youth Development Foundation. It's where Yao Ming gives all his money. We're going to do a mini Olympics then. It was to be seen by close to a billion people in Shanghai last year, the end of May. Instead, Kim and I and our family went over as special guests of Mr. Kong Mao's grandson. And you can do that on Wikipedia if you look up Mao Zedong. His name's Mr. Kong Jining. Please, please don't share this with your friends. Okay? There's a lot at stake here. It's a whole, it, it is not just a little thing. It involves U.S. Sino relationships because that's where we're at. Mr. Kong regularly has lunch with Hu Jintao every other week and discussing what China should look like. We went over and met with him and he asked us to pray before every, we were his guests. He said, come over, be my guests. And, and, where that little duck is next to our son, Cameron. That is where Henry Kissinger met with Mao to improve relationships on opening up China. It was a secret meeting. But at that same restaurant we met, he asked us to pray in front of his friends at that meal. And we did. you believe that? You didn't, you'll never hear it on the news. And he would never say it on the news. I'm just pulling back a screen for you so you can see what God is doing behind the lines. It really has very little to do with us. We're just the people who jump out of the circle every once in a while and giggle a lot. What we did is we ended up doing the cheering hope games. It's like a mini Olympics with the China Youth Development Foundation. It gives an education for um, children whose parents make less than a dollar a day. These kids would have no education. For $75, we can provide them with an education, food, and shelter for a year. And what these kids were from all the provinces of China. And there we are, the Children's Heritage Foundation. It was seen by half a billion people. That's, that's bigger than our Super Bowl. That's bigger than our Super Bowl. 
of people watching this. It would have been one billion because the government would have really been behind it. Shanghai would have done this, but we actually had to hold it in Harbin this week last year. We brought kids ages 10 to 14 to play baseball and to play basketball with them. These are some, the top two recording artists in China who showed up. They sang a song. And our kids were with them in the pageantry. These kids were from all the provinces of China. And here we are, our basketball team. As you can see, we got some young 10-year-old kids. 10-year-old kids that were ambassadors. Do you understand what that did? It was a response to Mr. Kong saying, could you come over and play with our kids? Do you understand what it meant for our ping-pong team to go over and play ping-pong with China? They call it ping-pong diplomacy. It changed everything. And I really believe God used some young kids who were playing basketball, who know Jesus Christ, and who were a witness to Jesus Christ, to change a country for such a time as this. We had baseball clinics. They'd never thrown a baseball. They can't afford a glove. You can see some of those kids are pretty young. This is Mr. Tu. He heads up the China Youth Development Foundation, and he has now partnered with many of them. In fact, I think Procter & Gamble gave four or five million this last year. He's asked us to partner with him. And we help liaison him with several other foundations that are here in the United States. He doesn't know we're a Christian organization. He knows I'm a Christian. He knows Kim's a Christian. He knows we love Jesus. He asked us, well, how many do you have on your staff? He says, it's just my wife and I. Our annual budget is about $50,000. This is Mr. Koo. He helped sponsor our team. We invited him this last year to the... Uh, National Prayer Breakfast. Mr. Ku happens to be royalty from Malaysia. And I said to his assistant, Yuki, Yuki, you know, we'd love to have you come and pray in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth to a, a breakfast with leaders in the United States. Do you think you could come? Sure. They didn't make it this last year because the invitations sent to them, the hard copies did not get to them in time, and we're hoping that they'll be able to join us this year, who we did end up hosting this year is the largest, uh, the Buddhist monk who oversees the largest amount of Buddhists in the world, and that's Grandmaster Shi from China. He brought several with him. I don't have pictures here. Uh, but yeah, we picked him up at the airport and um, you know, took him to places, talked about Jesus. <laughs> and you're thinking, wow, this guy's got, you know, 10, 15 million followers just in China alone. This is, this is um, Gao. She was our guide in Qian because they paid for us to tour all of China. They put us at the best restaurants, the best hotels, everything because they saw this as a relationship between China and the United States. Gao just got baptized about four months ago. She's a believer in Jesus Christ. We witnessed to her on the bus. You should hear her emails. I, I'm not so good at forgiving 77 times 7 a day. I need to forgive more. God is doing so many wonderful things. I can barely wait to learn more, Sister Chris, about Jesus. Sister Chris happens to be 
program rocket telemetries that some of those rockets are aimed at China. She went with on the trip. Her kids went with us. They didn't know what she did. Pretty high profile. But she was able to constantly disciple her. I want to transition a little bit from some of the things that we've done besides doing that. We started Royal Family Kids Camp for Sexually Abused Kids. Uh, when was that? Yeah, the year we got married. Yeah, 13 years ago. Man. Uh, we started a camp for sexually abused kids called Royal Family Kids Camp. And we continue to do that every year. We also work with Metro Ministries in New York. We're out there probably three, four times a semester and usually end up speaking at all of their summer camps through the month of August. They reach 26,000 kids a week. It's the largest Sunday school in the country. We feel a passion for that because basically the guy who went out there went into the worst neighborhood in the United States. One out of every 18 males never saw their 18th birthday. The worst. Not by his definition, but by the police. And... Uh, They've made a huge difference there because people said this place is hopeless. The government had given up. Everybody had given up. But there was one person who said, where Jesus is, if this gospel works, it's got to be able to work in the worst place on this planet because it's more powerful than that. And he's proven that. And so every week we pick up these kids from the inner city. We help write some of the curriculum for what they do and actually participate in that. Leadership seems to be a big buzzword, and I'm going to ask you to go through these next slides just very, very quickly if you do that. Um, seven character traits of extraordinary leaders. Uh, oh. Integrity. Optimistic. Embraces change. Risk taker, tenacious, catalytic, dedicated and committed. Wow. How many agree with that? Leaders need to have those seven characteristics. Now, let me ask you this. What characteristics embody you? I want you to look at this list. You probably can't see all of it. Skillful, faithful, calm, obnoxious, loving, Childish, confused, encouraging me, confident, brilliant, precise. How many of you would say, well, I'm funny. You know, I mean, if I gave you a little test and gave you this paper and you had it in front of you and you had time to circle those, how many would circle funny? About three. Okay. How many would circle daring? How many would circle nervous? Naughty. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand. Giving. That, that, that describes you. Meek. Leader. Well, a few more hands. You see, we all raise our hands for different things because God has put different things in us. But there's one characteristic there that I want to focus on this morning as I bring God's word to you. One. There's one characteristic up there of all of them that embodies Jesus Christ. Which one is it? Jesus. 
Jesus said, I'm meek and lowly. Follow after me. Meek, mighty, doesn't mean weak. means like a wild stallion brought under control. E, emotionally stable. Better is a man who can control his temple, temper than he who can tear the walls off of a city or the gates off of a city. Educatable, that means teachable and kind. Those words describe Jesus Christ. And I want to talk to you a little bit about that as we move into this. I have a, if you take your Bibles with me and I want you to turn to 1 Chronicles 12, 32. There are 12 tribes in Israel. And they helped David to conquer the land of Israel at that particular point in time. And it goes through and it lists in chapter 12 the different tribes and what they did. Most of them fought and killed a bunch of people. But there was one tribe, it says, the men of Issachar who understood the times and knew what Israel should do. I believe that not only has implications for back then, but for today. Are there men of Issachar? Are there a tribe? Are there a group of people who understand the times and know what America should do. Who know what God's people should do. Is it the church? There's not a church that's going to say, hey, come to our church. We're knuckleheads. We don't know what's going on. But come anyways and have a good time. Nobody's going to say that, but how many know that not everybody walks in a calling of Issachar? Let me break that down for you. And you probably can't see it, but Issachar means he will bring a reward. Those who understand the times and know what to do are a reward bringer, and they rewarded heavily. How many know? It's smart to know when to buy and sell. When to hold them and fold them. You see, that wisdom goes beyond the bulk of strength. It goes beyond the bulk of power. That's why Solomon prayed for wisdom. Understanding. I want to define that because that, in that verse, I want to pick apart a few words and help you to just get a little better grasp of that. Understanding means to separate mentally, to distinguish, be cunning, deal wisely. They were men of understanding. Times. When you look that up, in, in Strong's Concordance, it, it renders fortunes and occurrences. They understood the times. They understood fortunes and occurrences. Let's look at fortunes. What does that say? Success, prosperity, possessions, wealth. Occurrences, event, incidents, circumstances. No. From the Hebrew word, they knew the times. From, it comes from the Hebrew word yada, which means the knowing that only God gives. It doesn't mean from reading the Wall Street Journal. It's from an intimate relationship with God and God breathing into them His knowledge. I believe 
that God is calling for churches and groups to be sons of Issachar. Now Jacob pronounced over Issachar in, in another passage of Scripture. He, he prophetically proclaimed what Issachar would be, and it really sounds bad. You're a skinny donkey between two saddlebags. He, didn't, he called it Nass. Skinny ass between two saddlebags. In other words, you'll be a bur- beast of burden. I thought, well, that's just not very complimentary. You're just going to bear burdens all your life. Well, somehow, the correlation, because God has that in there for a reason, those who bear the beast of burdens, those who have the ability to bear heavy burdens, also have the ability to understand the times. Have you ever gotten up in the middle of the night and somebody's issue is on your mind to the point where you can't sleep as much as they do? That's a burden. You understand, when a pastor says, God, I'm going I'm to love these people that in the middle of the night, that means he has to be available for your burdens. That his pain becomes your pain. That your pain becomes his pain. And I really believe that through intercession and waiting and spending time with God, that God gives a burden to the point where, where your heart is almost ripped out and you carry burdens with you. See, because when you're spending vast amounts of times with God, He will share His heart with you. And there are times His heart is so heavy that you can't sleep. That God's burdens for other people. That God's burdens for the lost. That God's burdens to see His kingdom manifested on this earth is so heavy, you can barely take it. You look at many people who had prayer ministries in history like a David Brainerd who prayed so much they said his heart moved from this side of his body to this side of his body. Well, that's just not healthy. I know. And he was skinny, so if he knew how to get wealthy and all that stuff, maybe, maybe he found a better life. He found he didn't need a lot of food. See, when you pray and fast a lot, you're skinny. I heard something. Have you ever heard of Mahatma Gandhi? He was kind of a, a mystic, you know, and walked around all the time, so he had these calloused feet all the time, was quite fragile and and because he fasted so much he had bad breath they call him the super calloused fragile mystic plagued with halitosis who hears for God today who hears from God I believe the names of the sons of Issachar provide something for us I'm going to hit them real quick I believe they have a prophetic message for you today. Tola. You know what Tola means? Worm. Again, you're saying, well, what's up with that? Worm. Where is Tola used in the Bible? 
Actually, what Tola was is it was a worm that one crushed provided the dye that was used by kings. Only by kings. Psalm 22 renders the word Tola. It's the prophetic psalm that David used to portray the Messiah. I am but a Tola, worm, and no man, a reproach of men, despised of the people. Do you understand that Jesus Christ was crushed and brought to nothing so that his blood provided the greatest die of royalty so that every tongue, every nation will someday bow at the name of Jesus Christ. I believe it's the same for us. Everybody wants to be a leader. Everybody wants to be a somebody. Everybody wants to do something great. And I believe in God's provision, those who walk with God, who spend time with God and allow God to break their hearts, will be the ones who understand the purposes and plans of God. Tommy Tenney said, if you want to know why some churches have some revival and why some people have intimacy when multitudes do not, the answer is not that these people... The answer is that these people are people of brokenness. The breaking of your heart arrests the ears and eyes of God and it begins with your love for Him that supersedes your fear and what others may think. You can't seek His face and save your face. The end of your glory, the dismantling, if you please, is the beginning of His glory. You can't be clever and God be great. Tola ruled in Israel for many years. He knew what to do. The people who lock themselves away in a prayer closet, not at a conference, are the ones who God will speak to because if there ever was need to hear from God, it's now. If our country was ever in a crisis, folks, I'm telling you, you have no idea where we're at. One senator remarked at the prayer breakfast, he said, the American people have no idea the deep do they're in. What do you suggest? Stop paying taxes. Now, he can't go on record as saying that. But I'm just telling you, if this health care bill passes, you'll be required to murder with your money. They will take your money and murder innocent children with it. You see, we need somebody who will fight for those children. Not passively pray, oh God, help it. But someone like in Amos 3.12, where it says there was a shepherd who rescued from a lion's mouth a lamb who got an ear and three and two leg bones. It's in there. Doesn't sound like a good rescue for the lamb, does it? But it sounds like a shepherd who had a burden. It sounds like a shepherd who cared. Was gone, willing to go face to face. Walk into the pit of hell itself and say, I'm going to fight for this one. Pua means meaning to blow away or to scatter with a wind. 
If there ever was a time where we need the wind of the Holy Spirit to blow on us, it's now. Do you understand that the gospel will never go forth unless we scatter? God had to scatter through the Holy Spirit to reach the nations in the Great Commission we talked about earlier. God had to scatter them with the power of the Holy Spirit so that the whole world could be reached. You see, those who understand the mind of God and who will understand and know what to do understand missions. Many churches who do not give out, who are just entities and pools to themselves like the Dead Sea who collect water but do not give out, become a stench. And their ability to recognize truth is very limited. Joshua means he that will return. Turn back or withdraw in order to restore, rescue, or retrieve. Maybe we need to withdraw to our prayer closets and ask God to give us a plan. Friends, we're seeing our country in, in, if you don't recognize it, it's in dire straits. It really is in a rough, rough time. You have a globalization that is taking place. You have a new world order that I'm telling you is on the dockets. They're just looking for ways and they're testing ways to implement a new world order which would totally eradicate, totally eradicate your ability to share Jesus Christ with other people in this country as you know it today. You are a slave. Whether you know it or not, you were sold into slavery during the New Deal. Your labor would be taxed as a slave to pay for the debts of this country through an organization that is not even part of this country. It's ruled by world bankers who give no financial accountability whatsoever. And the comptroller general for that has no idea. There's a time when we need to withdraw so that we can retrieve the truths that God has set in order God said, restore the walls that have been broken down. I believe there's a generation coming up of kids and young people that will be so bold and brazen for Jesus Christ. It might be some older folks, but usually not. Because we're pretty set in our ways. Every once in a while, God gets hold of someone and they're going to risk it. They're going to risk it all. They're going to lay it on. They're saying, I don't care what happens to me. I'm willing to risk my life for Jesus Christ so that His gospel goes forth, so that His kingdom, the die of the worm, can be seen by everyone. Not my glory, but His glory. Shimron means to guard, to protect, or tend, be circumspect, or mature. It's time to grow up, isn't it? Church is not about you. I go there to get my needs met. Well, that's why you go there. You're going there for the wrong reason. I like, I like Jesus because he likes what I like for myself. I, I, I show myself friendly to get friends. You see, there's, there's, that's leveraging God into your agenda. But when you lay it all down, 
all down. Say, Jesus, here it is, all yours. My business, my marriage, all of it. Let me become of no reputation so that you may be glorified. Let me become of nothing so that people may know Jesus Christ. God, I'm not there. I wish I was. I'm not there. Would you please help me? You see, maybe, that, maybe that's where we need to leave it today. Do you discern the things of God and know what to do for your family? We're so busy. We don't have time to hear from God. It's a 15-minute devotional every once in a while. The other people had that opportunity. I believe they did. I don't believe they took it. Someone, somewhere, has to fight for kids. Someone, somewhere, has to be a heritage for them. Someone, somewhere, has to protect the lives of innocent children. This is a global initiative by the enemy. Global. To wipe out children. The devil always goes after the seed because he knows what it's capable of. If you're here and you've said, you know, I've never completely surrendered my life to Jesus Christ. I mean, I give my life to him. But I've never come to that point where I'm willing to completely surrender. Maybe he hasn't been telling you his secrets. Maybe this thing isn't as joyous as you thought it could be. Maybe that's why. Maybe that's why. I'm wondering if you're here and you've never surrendered your life to Christ, but you'd say, I'd like to do that. I see your hand. I've never done that. Surrendered all. I've never laid it all. I'm going to ask our musician to come. We're going to close in just, just a minute. Maybe you just need to lock some time in with God this morning. Before you get off to the festival. To the barbecue. The home. Maybe God's, through His Holy Spirit, has, has hit you with something this morning. In the deep recesses of your heart. And you can leave one or two ways, saying, well, that's pretty good. Or, you can elect, allow it to affect you to the point of pain. Because I found when God loves you, He often allows you the privilege of feeling His pain.
for those who are lost and have no hope. In just a few moments, I'm going to dismiss in a word of prayer. When I dismiss, if you need to go home, you can go home. But I'd like to turn this here into a sanctuary of prayer here. Where we allow God to break our hearts. God, give us wisdom. God, if we're not in the position to hear from you, I, I, I want to be there. God, you love everybody here. And God, I pray an anointing on this church and these people that they would be the sons of sons and daughters of Issachar. But they wouldn't do a church as usual. They wouldn't just try to be clever. They wouldn't just try to do things to fit in with the culture that usually turns out people who are not disciples. But Christian Klingons, God, I pray this morning you'd begin a deep work in their life. You'd lay an urgency of prayer on their hearts. You'd help them to be champions for the weak. And God, you'd give them courage. Be with them, dear God, as they go about their day in the reverence and the power of the Holy Spirit. Help them to spread the power of the Holy Spirit to scatter it wherever they go. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. If you feel you need to be dismissed, you are free to go. If you'd like to stay and make this an altar of prayer, either here or in your seat, you please feel free to do that.